0: The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Brew Bar and Tuity Fitness. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit
1: language. Because we learned it from you, Dad! Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Poltergeist Edition. Today we're talking Poltergeist 2, The Other Side. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, as always, the sequel man himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello,
0: Tom. Honey, Jesus. See, that's the difference between you and me, Diane. I am into downward mobility. I'm not settling for it. I'm into it. I like getting out in the streets and meeting the... I like selling vacuums. I like carrying the pipes, the apparatus, and my little demo case. Let's get the kids up, and we'll paint the cars different colors. Kind of day-glow-like, like we used to do when we were kind of freaky. The freaky Freelings on the road again. You know, the-, the the family whose house disappeared. Watch them find it, Diane. I'm not going to get upset about this, but I'll tell you something. I'm writing them back, and when I signed the letter, I'm signing Mr. President!
2: Nice. Holy shit. That was Heather the best line. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> I, I, I love, uh, one of the things I do love about this movie is the kind of, I guess, the dramatic change they get out of the trauma that's happened to this family. Yeah. In terms of what it does for character growth and and change, but I also love. But to that me, some kind of, of those
1: are half ideas that we were talking about in the ranking episode, right?
0: And I love that they keep it within the the dynamic, the character dynamics of the original movie. This kind of like, this sort of hippie Reaganite dichotomy that we kind of i we're constantly bouncing between. I have that scene Diane.
1: I have that that <laughs> speech you just gave us marked down as Craig T. Nelson's Reagan hippie existential crisis speech.
0: Right. Right. Um, but it, you know, it's interesting when you, we talk all the time about when, when characters, uh, appear in sequels, you know, are they the same people Mm. or is it just the actor creating a totally new character? And and one thing you can say about Poltergeist to the other side is that this is still Steve and Diane, um, as we know them. Yeah. Right. And I think that is that is one of the huge ticks in the in the column column for you for for this for this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, not just not just them, but, you know,
1: before we move on, let's, of course, welcome our special guest screenwriter, Matthew Aldrich, co-writer of Coco. Hello, Matt.
2: Hey, guys. (laughs) I know I jumped in there before the intro. Sorry about that. Oh, please. I am, this, my appearance here is a sequel in and of itself. Indeed it is.
0: Wow.
2: We're, we're, this is, this, this podcast is finally eating its own tail.
0: (laughs) It was a long time coming. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We are the Aurora Boris of of, of podcasts.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, gentlemen, today we are here to discuss... Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, directed by Brian Gibson. Uh, Brian Gibson, I don't know. Breaking Glass, What's Love Got to Do With It, The Juror, Still Crazy, and uh, one television movie, The Josephine Baker Story. (laughs) Oh, with uh, Holly Berry. No, I think this was a different one, because this one was in the 80s, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Oh so
0: basically he's a guy who directs things yeah exactly (laughs) yeah with no apparent connection between them
2: he's a shooter (laughs) here well this is one of the stories of poltergeist aside from the curse of it all um you know and we we talked about this a little bit on the 1982 project mike was um you know did steven spielberg direct poltergeist yeah right yeah there's a a, um you know he on paper he didn't in practice uh the accounts vary um they 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 really vary um how much or how little uh his hand was and his handprints were on that film and and I think it's it's hard to watch Poltergeist Poltergeist and argue that Steven Spielberg doesn't have some some influence of uh, uh, control yeah, about what's going on there. You know, from the shots to the to the story. The You're seeing the some weekend. lens um,
1: flares for sure.
2: There's there's quite a bit of lens flare. <laughs> um, but uh, but he that was also the year he was doing E.T. In fact, those movies came out uh, on subsequent weeks. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so he was uh, contractually unable to direct Poltergeist, and so Tom Hooper um, uh, did the job. But, you know, sort of cloud uh, hangs over uh, Hooper's job on, on that film as, um, as, yeah, but Steven Spielberg directed it. And, and so I, I, that, I'm, I, I'm not here to settle that score, or maybe, maybe I am, because um, Poltergeist 2 represents a Poltergeist movie without Steven Spielberg right and so if, if it's like if you want to see um whether or not he directed the first one <laughs> look at the second one where he had <laughs> no involvement whatsoever he didn't produce it he didn't direct it he didn't write it he didn't come up with a story and this is the kind of movie this is the this is what poltergeist one would have been i think without him
0: yeah there's definitely there's a there's a huge one of the things that one of my first notes is is that there's a even if you even if you take into consideration that that, that Tobey Hooper no, Toby Hooper somewhat directed the oriv- the original, um there's a there's a horror auto vacuum at the centre of this movie. Right. And to me what they try and fill it with basically drawing from the world of Stephen King. Um, Not that mm-hmm. he's in, in any way involved in the movie right. I see what you're saying but his, but his but the archetypes of his books dominate the movie so I think that's how they're filling this hole of of authorship. Horror, specifically horror authorship is just by sort of <laughs> plagiarizing an author who has no no involvement but right it, it, this is his kind you know this is his kind of area.
1: Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Actually, that's interesting.
2: What what vexes me a little bit about this movie, one of the things that vexes me about this movie is um, <laughs> it has the same screenwriters.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
2: and and uh, again, this goes to like how much or how little did um, Spielberg influence the writing of the first one. You know, he has a story credit, um, but um, but the but the the screenwriting team. Um, that actually had the, the credit on the first one, have the credit on this one too. And again, I feel like, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it It's almost like they knew what they had in the first movie and you, Tom, you know, you, you gave Craig T. Nelson, Craig T. Nelson's speech. Yeah. So it's like, and they knew the characters they were working with and yeah. they knew how they would evolve, mm-hmm. um, in between the first and second movies so there was a continuity of character there that i credit to the screenwriters who were Definitely. like okay yes yeah, correct we know who these people are let's carry them forward it's a year later or it's six months later whatever it is cuesta verde is a ghost town hmm. um everybody moved out because they were freaked out by what happened they're living with joe beth williams mom they can't get the insurance to cover the loss on the house Craig T. nelson is selling vacuum cleaners like all of that stuff i can see the how those ideas just um they all kind of um followed from the ending of the first one. Oh, no, yeah, and it goes a long way to like setting up a really good story. Um, but then, yeah, again, like it, it just feels like the the writers uh but they even like they just didn't they didn't know where to go, or they or yeah. or they went to this place of like the thing I know, is, I think they did ex- know where to go. Let's over explain what happened in the first movie. Like, I feel like this movie is just here to over explain the first one <laughs> yes, and not actually right. have a second story. It's like, let's go back and let's, you know, get into the stories behind the skeletons in the pool. Yeah, right. And it's like, it, it, it feels like a, a Rogue One situation where you're like, mm-hmm. I didn't actually need to know who the skeletons in the pool were. And in fact, making it more specific rather than the generic mischievous poltergeists that existed in the first movie by making them more specific and pinning them to this, you know, Mormon prophet uh, who, 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 <laughs> right. who, you know, led a death cult in, in the 1800s. Like that, it just serves to make the world the story smaller. Yeah, right. Yeah, it just makes it so much smaller but than speaking, it, it should be. But speaking to what
1: you were just saying, because to me it felt like, the writers did have an idea of where to go because you have Craig T. Nelson talking to his son, Robbie, and saying, no, no TVs, we're not doing TVs. You have Jo Beth Williams' mom telling her, you know, the way to to work through trauma is to talk about it and to think about it, you know, and so she has that scene where she tries to say out loud what had happened, and then she sort of falls to pieces and runs out of the room But then that idea is completely abandoned. Like you get those two moments and then you don't really hear word of it again. But if it was if if you were drawing on the parents kind of became the children, like the children maybe had to lead the parents into, hey, we have to confront this head on. We can't just bury our heads in the sand kind of a thing. That would have been interesting. But it's like the idea, the germination of an idea was there and they just abandoned it.
2: No, this movie. This movie uh, fails the moment Taylor shows up at the door.
0: Hmm.
2: Now, it, to me, and because that's the moment that it's that that all of a sudden the movie has to be about Craig T. Nelson becoming a man warrior. Right. It is the, just the most shallow. So um,
1: ridiculous.
2: So ridiculous. And by the way, for as much as they're 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 keeping sort of continuity of character, Joe Beth Williams' character by the end of Poltergeist One. She is such a badass that I don't see her being afraid to talk about what happened. Yeah. I see her as maybe being the only one who is brave enough to talk about what happened and everybody else wants to move on with their lives. Like like um, uh, she seems to have regressed to just like screaming in fear and, you know, she's not even the one saying like, you know, I I I I'm, I'm going to go get my baby back. Like Yeah. Like it, it this movie For one reason or another, I don't know because I wasn't there, but like they made the original movie was about was Jo Beth Williams movie. It was a movie about motherhood from the production design down to the casting, down to the writing, everything. It was a it was a it was a rare female centric movie Mm of 1982 and 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 a rare female centric horror movie that wasn't like modeled after like the final girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it really had a it really had the mom as the hero and in this movie they're like what if we made it the dad's movie and you're right. like you can if you want but yeah. it's going to be stupid and boring and that's what I feel like that's what I mean happening. they
1: take it so far that cuz Craig T. Nelson is just constantly constantly being bigoted and racist towards Taylor mm-hmm. throughout the entire movie
0: but in a very plausible way for a, a for a man of his era and his class.
2: It was it was plausible. Yeah, yeah, it is plausible. I mean the things
0: he says about oh I might have Indian ancestry, I've read some books about your culture. And this feels like exactly like like the kind of casual racism that a man like him would, would exhibit towards yeah. someone like Dyke like Taylor.
1: That's all true, but what
0: got Which me Which is where I think this this you know the, the the that's what I mean about like solid there's some solid screenwriting here in terms of character. Like it's not. It's not changing the idea of the character, and um, it's absolutely. T- I absolutely agree. It's too accepting of that of his point of view, and not and doesn't fight it. Enough. Right. Yeah. But I completely see. I completely see uh, this kind of racism coming from this kind of man. Like I bought it. It was seamless to me. No, I'll, yeah, I'll agree I, with I, that. I, I just... But what
1: I don't like is that. You know, we talked about this with 48 Hours, Matt, where Nick Nolte is saying and doing despicable things, but the movie, I don't think, is condoning it because Eddie Murphy has just as much on him as he does on Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy has a back and forth, and Eddie Murphy gets to have the upper hand, and Eddie Murphy is capable and smart in the movie. And you have that, you know, you like we understand inherently that Taylor... Knows things that this family doesn't and can help them, but.
0: Well, I, I, yeah, but I don't think he does. But it
1: doesn't. It doesn't feel like that exactly.
0: It fe- It doesn't fit. No, he, He's. He's basically introducing this family to to the concept of libertarianism. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they. And they're. They're. Um. They've. You know. They're. That's what's fascinating about this is, whenever they whenever steve and diane protest what taylor's trying to teach them i'm always on their side (laughs) everything that taylor uh, like right it's all taylor's got is is bullshit libertarianism and machismo (laughs) that's all he's got to offer which in itself is racist because it's a perversion of native you know yeah right kind of native american culture but um you know, you, you end up... And this another political problem with this movie is you end up sort of siding with the Reaganites because they're the only people in the movie talking sense. And, all, you know, what, what Taylor is also kind of proposing is bordering on child abuse mm-hmm. in terms of how you treat your family. And, and you know, Joe Beth Williams, as, as as Diane, is entirely within a right to say, no, this is not how you deal with kids. This is not how you deal with the kids this is not how you run a family right um so it's it's fascinating on on that count but the emphasis is definitely off we're supposed to believe taylor is a wise man he's definitely a man but he ain't wise
2: right Right. oh well and and not only but but not only that he he's sort of um he's one of these he's one of these kind of like magic uh He's one of these like magic Native Americans. He's, like, who, there's who mysticism enters,
1: throughout the whole movie. It's, enters
2: into the story to to solve the white people's problems, and, um, yeah. and and you know we see this a ton in the '80s and '90s. Oh, of, it's it's and it's it's just sort of a, it's it's a shade of the noble savage kind of, uh, yeah. of uh, caricature, and and. But this is this movie's version
1: of of Weekend at Bernie's too. Just substitute Native American mysticism. For voodoo,
0: but this is important to the popular perception of the series as well. That, as specifically, yeah. that we begin with this kind of cold, o- this cold yeah. open around the ghost fire with the two Native yes. Americans, because if if <sighs> basically pretty much it, every, every raises nothing onla- but questions. Listen well, listen to this every, pretty much every online synopsis of the original poltergeist says that their house is built on an indian burial ground right
2: yes and i went back to look cuz i was like i don't remember that from the original and it is right. not in the original No, it's just in fact, a they cemetery. specifically
0: in fact they specifically say it's not burial grounds this is just a cemetery there's a, a line right. to that effect in the movie yet i think what i mean so this is this is one of the big you know mandela effects of popular Uh, cinema right of recent times that people think this to the point where you can go on wikipedia and it will tell you that as part of the synopsis the house was built on indian burial grounds and it's simply not true but i've got to think that the way that this movie opens lends itself to people believing that is where is what people are thinking of and even but to the point only- where I'd convinced myself, I had to go back and check. I was like, is this a callback to the ending of the last movie where they find out their house is built on Indian burial grounds? Uh, at which point I find out that's not the case. So this, this is... It's certainly cementing and perpetuating that illusion. Mm-hmm. That that is the trope. It- I mean, and maybe, you know, if you talk about it as a trope, maybe the cemetery under the house goes back to that tradition but it's specifically not that and yet this movie lends you you know it lends itself to that mandela effect in a way which i just think is fascinating
2: hmm. it's it is fascinating because i i was one of the people who was fooled by that and i like you had to go i had yep. to go back and check even though i had just watched this movie and not only <laughs> not, like i had yeah it was like it was like this movie gaslights us in a couple different ways though because that's one of them sort of um uh making us think that, that native American culture or burial rituals or, or anything had anything to do with the first movie, which right, it did right. not. It wasn't, it was completely devoid of that. It was all about suburbia that like mm-hmm. The, the, mm-hmm. The, 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 film was about suburbia and a lot of early uh, Spielberg films were in that yeah. same kind of way of like, of, of here's the thing happening. Here's the strange thing happening in a place where everything is supposed to be normal. And, and so the, the, uh, uh, so that's the first way that the sequel kind of recasts what happened in the, in the last one. And the second way with, is actually with Cain mm-hmm. and his Just disciples, sure. because they died in a mass grave in a cave yeah. underneath the house. But the cemetery in the first one, the, the, the spirits that were, quote unquote, the cause of the haunting were the were the, the graves that were there but the tombstones had been moved. So it was a proper cemetery, not a mass grave in a cave. Yeah, right. Yeah. The first film you know for the the first film's explanation for why these this family is being haunted is super thin. It's basically it was built on a cemetery. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. yeah, Literally. So 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 that was that was that was the full explanation. And so this second movie tries to tell us that it had something to do with Native American religion and death rituals, that it had something to do with an actual mass grave, a second burial that happened before the formal cemetery was removed. (laughs) And then third, it also has to do with uh, uh, Carol Ann's innate clairvoyance. Which was not a part of the first movie at all.
0: Right. Which to me is, is where it gets pure Stephen King, you know, when she's drawing. Yeah, right. When right. she's right. drawing a cemetery.
2: It, and, and, and again, it's like these, I, I keep coming back to the writers and I'm not going to let them off the hook. It just felt like they had <laughs> no idea where to go with this. And so they just started to try to over explain what they had done in the well, first film.
0: Well the, the I mean the metaphor for what this sequel does to the original is right there on screen it's an they're trying to do an archaeological excavation of the first movie in the same mm-hmm. way that they Yeah doing, right they're doing it on the house in the movie with Tangina as lead archaeologist for some For reason. for reasons unknown um, Yeah um, and, you know, I, I've got the note here that this is beneath the planet of the poltergeist. <laughs> you know, when, when you're in doubt with what to do with a sequel, you go under the ground. I mean, that's one of the sequel <laughs> Ten Commandments, isn't it? <laughs> You've either got to go inside the Earth or into space. Like, what? Well, it's one of the or, two. Or
2: or, or it's got to be at Christmas.
0: Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> plus underground, plus space, plus Christmas. Equal sequel. Yeah. Um... And I had this I had a sort of similar feel I, I kind of in general like the idea of the, that we were getting specific with the details. I like the moment where they're where they're going over the insurance claim and they're debating what do we claim this as. I, I right, sort of right. like that. I like all the stuff with the TVs, you know, uh Robbie looking longingly at the T V in the window of the store. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I I I like how specific they are about the aftermath and i think that mm-hmm. i think that's what they're going for here and that and you know in in this era that's really all sequels were were, we're you know let's talk about the aftermath of what happened in the first movie um you know the rocky 2 mold the halloween 2 mold um and it mm, works mm, for a while even on jaws 2 basis. jaws 2 yeah um but it does you're right it over explains it gets far too literal you know there's this there's, there's there's mysteries that you don't want or need to be solved. Yeah.
2: Actually solving them solving them makes your threat uh, uh to to know the threat makes it smaller. Yeah. Do you know definitely. what I mean? To, to 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 be able to say, "Oh, this is all and the and the third movie is going to do this even more saying like this all boils down to like one old man who needs to go to the light." <laughs> this oh. all this all this is huge, amorphous, very scary thing from the first movie. Was just one old man. Like <laughs> it's, that is so disappointing. It's so disappointing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's it effectively erases any. Well, it's interesting. I mean, again, it's interesting because. But I it's think... such
1: a sequel thing too. To ta- to have to to try and take it further with the explanation,
2: right? But but shouldn't the explanation be? bigger? Why make the explanation smaller than the first movie? The first movie yeah. should be your entree into this great big world, and each sequel right. should be growing, growing the mythology, right? not shrinking, shrinking not, it. Not, it is a shrinking Not shrinking the mythology. it. Yeah. It's shrinking down the mythology to the third one, where it's literally just one one
1: guy. Because yeah. when you think of <laughs> alien to aliens... But what a
0: guy. I mean... Yeah, you know, that's the but thing. Pa- g- part sure. of me understands why they're they're pinning the terror on this guy, but I think it has way more to do with performance than it has to do with, with anything creating. else. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: But yeah. speaking of smaller so, to bigger, when you think of alien to aliens, you add that S and... Yeah. And you, you know... That S
2: is dollar signs, baby. Yeah,
1: exactly. Cameron Cameron does build up from what we originally saw. And so you're right in the sense I of... I,
2: yeah, I think that's what that's what the point of, the, of building out the mythology is, is that is that in the first part of something your main character only gets the tip of the iceberg yeah, of right. what the whole story is and then it and then it grows from there and and it can become unwieldy and you need only to look at the Marvel cinematic universe to see how unwieldy that can become yeah mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day like that started with an Iron Man movie you know mm-hmm. and and a very simple one at that and then it just it grew and i think that's just the more satisfying path for sequels and kind of why they buy their right to exist um you, I mean, than... they, they,
0: you you you're i think sequ- you know sequels especially in this period they're within their rights to examine the aftermath and make that mm. sort of your, the first act of your movie basically but you do have to go somewhere with that and i think that's the ultimate failure of this what, of do, this you, what do you is, make is of it that? doesn't it doesn't take you know we, we're we're basically in a museum of the first movie. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um what do you and make, we never really that we never leave it even though the the script gives us mul- multiple narrative avenues we could take, but we never mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. To get out of essentially to get out of the the um the confines of the first movie. And we get so close on so many occasions, but we never quite we never quite transcend it and we end up sort of And when going all the way to the end of this movie, we circle back to the original to the point where both this and the original movie have the same ending. So this movie, you know, might as well not exist (laughs) because you've actually gone nowhere except back to where you started, you know, the ending of the last movie, which is to say that your movie doesn't exist in in any any, you know, in the storytelling of this movie. This movie might as well not exist. And that's to me become, the big problem with this a, movie. But yeah. I lo- I love the starting points of all of this. I love the roots of where yeah, they're Yeah, exactly. But I you
2: kind need... of do too. I, I I like I like that that I I wrote a note so I kind of like that it opens with the archaeological yeah. dig. Of I like seeing Questa Verde as a ghost town. Yeah. I like all this stuff. What do you What do you what I, was, what I was asking before is what do you make of this trend of sequels of this time where they're just trying to do a post mortem on the first um on the first film is is that like is that particularly effective or is it is it something that you you guys have found that they just stopped doing after a while
1: i mean i'm trying to why is it effective because is it is it that specific tom to this time because not all sequels do that
0: I'm think you know you Rocky look- Two, Halloween Two. I mean, I, I think I think it's a category of sequels yeah. that is particularly prevalent in the earlier period of of sequels in the '70s and '80s that you 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 you, you deal you deal with the aftermath at the beginning of, of the movie. Either you pick up pick up you know directly from where you left off. There's a bit of a gap mm-hmm. here, but it, it's kind of the same effect because. Um, because, you know, it, it's the, the consequences, the after effects of what happened color everything that happens, at least in the first act of this movie. Um, so, I do, I do think, you know, I think it's definitely a common trope, that you know, this idea of the aftermath sequel, that you're a direct continuation. Uh, and I think it can be very effective, but it's also, it's a dangerous game. You know, you, you could leave yourself without a movie if you play play it right. wrong. And that's what's exactly my, that's what happens here. And to some it. extent this is what that's what happens in Halloween two, which doesn't have a second half of the movie to speak of. Mm. Yeah. For exactly the same reason that, that this movie doesn't. So um, It's it like in a relay race effective. where
1: somebody doesn't know how to hand off a baton.
0: Yeah. Rock I think Rocky Two is the probably the perfect example of how to do this kind of movie mm-hmm. because it go because it goes somewhere in its like second and third act. Do
1: you think that's because that, of the sports nature of it though? I mean that helps that movie, doesn't it?
0: But you should be able to do that in a horror sequel as well, because right. we've, we've talked before about how easily horror movies lend themselves to being sequels, because you always have a survivor. Yeah. Uh you have the trauma to work with so you can do character growth and change um you should be able to do this again in the form format of a horror film. Let
1: me ask you this. What do you make of the idea that the ghosts will follow them anywhere, that it's not just that location? It, does that feel like a cheat?
2: I, I don't know enough about the horror genre and, and sort of the rules and regulations. Uh, I kind of like <laughs> the idea that a person can be haunted rather than a house. Yeah, yeah right. Um, I, I, think, was gonna, I was going to say... In isolation, pro- that's great.
0: It probably is a cheat, but it's a cheat that's certainly been picked up by horror movies yeah. at large because Paranormal Activity pulls exactly the same shit mm-hmm. mm. in order to turn it into a franchise. Sure. Uh,
2: yeah, th- there is the there is sort of the you run into the Amityville problem, right? Which yeah. is like why do keep why do people keep moving into that house? Um, <laughs> right. You know. Well, that's it. it's like and, you... And, yeah, yeah. I was just saying that that that. Um, uh, by by linking it to a person i think you you um you can buy yourself it's sort of a raising of the stakes right in 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 a, in a good way like like the like, entity like I said like the, the the mythology the mythology grows so like it, your, your understanding from the first movie is that 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 house was haunted and as Tegina says in that movie very famously this house is clean she never says carol ann is clean and so, the, mm. and and I think the that the sequel that the writers would say, well, what if it was the girl? Yeah. What if it was Jo Beth Williams? What if what yeah. if the women of this family have this um, hereditary clairvoyance? I was actually okay with that because then yeah. I'm like, I'm okay with that. But I'm okay with that. But then it gets into this thing of like, yeah, but what about the other two things that you're adding on to this series that weren't in the original? you know yeah, the, right. the, the layer of native american lore the layer of um you know a mormon uh prophet leading a death cult into arizona like <laughs> i I'm...
0: i think yeah i think it's a good i think this this one's a good choice because you know the it the the, the house isn't still there it disappeared so yeah we've got to yeah. account for and we're in a different ha- you know we we've, we've we're in a different house and that makes sense that that they live you know they're because the last we see them, they're in a motel, uh, yeah. and now they're living with uh, Diane's mother, which is perf- so perfectly plausible. Uh, you need something that's kind of equally uh, workable as a fix right. to go with it, and so I, I, I think I just think in the early part of this movie, as a sequel, it's making all the right choices. Yeah. All right. Agreed. Well, that's all the, uh, all the right moves.
1: That's a good place to jump off from. Let's take a break, and then we'll we'll come back and we'll dive deeper. How about that?
0: Not too deep, I hope. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to get to the Mormon part of that grave.
1: Yeah, there's no water in the pool. <laughs> all right, we'll be right back.
0: If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of Third Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you, listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company... So will you. They turn me on to pour over and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brewbar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back,
1: everyone. Tom and Matt and I are here discussing Poltergeist 2... The Other Side, directed by Brian Gibson. This movie has 20% on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Ooh, burn!
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: a cruel burn. Sounds right. You think so? I guess you you need to be talking for sequels, talking about sequels for a few years before you recognize the craft of this particular movie. Like,
1: yeah, I I would say... I'm surprised it's not somewhere between... 35 and 45. But budget of 19 million dollars, opening weekend of twelve point three, in the USA and the world forty point nine. But this series is the perfect example of the law of diminishing returns for sequels.
2: Mm. You know, until but it's also the law of we'll just keep rebooting it. (laughs) <laughs> and we'll keep yeah. like it's, right. it's the law of it's not going to go away, um, even yeah. though nobody has has been able yet to recapture the lightning in the bottle that was Poltergeist one, critically or financially.
1: Yeah, right. Hmm.
2: It, it's 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 like um, people are defiantly trying to reboot this. It's it's one <laughs> of these really it's it's the same same thing with Blade Runner
0: yeah
2: they just they keep trying to um it's i I don't know i don't know exactly i mean poltergeist one is a good movie it's good yeah (laughs) it's not
0: yeah (laughs) it's good
2: it's good it's fun um it's uh it's got some spooky moments um it's got real pathos which is i think more than you can expect um, and so it's surprising in that way, and it has a really good um, performance from a child actor. It's got a lot of things going for it, yeah. right? Um, and uh, and that every subsequent uh, attempt to to either bring the band back together or to try to um, hook it up to to the lightning and and um, bring it back from the dead has just, um, for me anyway, it's re- it's just really failed.
0: I got to say though, I'm hugely. I mean. I'm hugely impressed that, Dominique Dunn aside, we have a full complement of a legacy cast here. I mean, that was one of the biggest surprises for me. Mm. Right. That There was literally no, no recasting going on at this point. And that's almost unheard of for a sequel to a horror movie in the 1980s, that you would right. get literally everyone you wanted back aside from the person who died. Who died. <laughs> I guess that's the price you have to pay is a horrible tragedy but but still i mean it's it it's really it really took me aback and you know i i i felt like it this at least in terms of character this was more organically connected to the original the most horror sequels and that that car that carries a lot of the movie for me mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of story uh it, they they obviously needed more than that but the fact that they've got that is is kind of it, off to a winning start um so you know. when
2: does for you i told i said for me you know when taylor when Ta- shows up at the door that's when the movie stops being good for me right no i'm a little late and, and later so where that. yeah where where does it if if it's if because if, if, i get the sense from both of you that this starts off on the right foot and Mm-hmm. Is engaging and charming, and you get the same ca- actors back and everything. So, when, when does it falter for you guys?
1: Well, somewhere once the second act starts, and you get sort of just the repeated notion of ghosts messing with them mm-hmm. until they decide to go to the cave. So, it's just this repeated refrain that just happens over and over and over again that feels.
0: I, I don't even mind that too much. there's there's some good lateral moves in terms of in terms of the not the horror I mean the, the, there's nothing like the, the the horror of the first movie or even the next movie in here. But there's in storytelling terms, you know, the fact that we're going from a, the TV to the toy phone, you know, I like that because it's in the spirit of of the you know the idea of haunted media. That the first movie's playing with i mean mm. it kind of sucks that it's a toy phone but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> with that um i i to me to me the point at which i was unable to take the movie even vaguely seriously was was when they're kind of escaping from the house uh there's a labrador fighting some loose cables there's right a chainsaw a chain, chainsaw floating amid a, a chainsaw in mid-air I thought well this is you know this is looney tunes now yeah um and from that point onwards it, it's a uh, it, it's a real roller coaster ride of nonsense
2: so you were still um, hanging with the movie when taylor was making the butterflies dance around his head <laughs> is that well what tell you, him? i like guess that. so <laughs> i i mean it's like
0: the, the the movie begins I have such good will for the movie because because it's the same because it's the same characters because they're written as as uh, they' they're they're written reasonably well uh, I like how it deals with the aftermath of the movie and, and that that just that kind of goes a long way mm. um, but at that point you know I'm that point I'm out really. See, and for me,
1: I like all the stuff in the beginning, but there are ideas that I was referring to earlier in the beginning, the idea of trauma and what it's done to the parents. You made you made a really good point about earlier, Matt, about about Joe Beth Williams and her character and that she's the last person that this would yeah. you know that that's an excellent point. But in that moment, I just remember thinking, oh, it's like we're, we're deal, like my note was, we're dealing with, you know, trauma. And that's interesting to me. And we've already had Craig T. Nelson saying, no TVs, no, none whatsoever. And it's like he's kind of making a joke about it with his son, but you can tell that there's, <clears throat> excuse me, you can tell that there's something behind it, you know? Yeah, so,
0: absolutely. It feels it feels you know it, it it's it almost feels organic that was my note it almost feels organic right that you know there's obviously you know cynically you could say we want to put some we want to do an imbass and put some footage from the first movie into the into this movie Which but they, they find ways to sort of incorporate it that feel almost organic even you know the the very beginning we the first kind of recap montage we get is when the the ghosts go into taylor and i'm like right. okay i mean obviously it's surrounded by that hollywood uh, you know cultural appropriation of native american culture which is horrible but you know it's just better than just giving us a recap montage without there being any narrative reason for it happening and then when you know we get it again when Diane starts talking to her mother about what happened. And, you know, she the first time she talks about the events, we see them as well. So I'm like, OK, it's keeping it within the realms of plausibility, you know, mm-hmm. to 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 an extent. Um, but they
1: don't stick with any of those ideas as we move further into the movie. And that was my issue. Right. So there are the, the second act is peppered with things I like and things I don't like. You know, I uh, Joe Beth Williams being pulled down into the ground was a pretty like it, it was a well done effect. Like, I just appreciated it on that level. I thought that was a. A pretty good scare.
0: The quality I, of, of, of effects is fine. It's just incompetently yeah. directed with someone who has no grasp of how to do horror or suspense right. or, or even to sort of handle practical effects on screen. I, That's what, yeah. Got
2: me. I, I, I also felt like the the film in the middle was it was like it was starting again. It's like it started as a poltergeist movie, and then it and it this movie is kind of a bridge between the I, I would almost like I don't even call Poltergeist One a horror movie. Like, I, eh. I, for me, in it, 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 that kind of breaks my brain because horror movies. Uh, a lot of the best ones and i think a lot of good ones anyway operate under this idea of a family turning against itself um, in one way or the other somebody in the family breaks the pact whether it's rosemary's <clears throat> baby Damien, um, uh, jack torrance um, uh, somebody is breaking the social bond um, that holds a family together and 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 in poltergeist one it's, it's a family under siege, right? It's a kid, like I said, it's a kidnapping yeah. story. So it's like a supernatural kidnapping is the verse. Is the mm-hmm. And so, it, and it operates much as a thriller would, where, the, where they're like a kidnapping thriller, where there is contact with the kidnappers, a, a, a stated ransom, a reneging of the, when the ransom is delivered or when the, when the, when the, when the, when the child is rescued, um, uh, the kidnappers come back for more. Like it, it, it has all of those um, uh, pieces, parts of a thriller, and then you have the third movie, which is really trying to be a straight horror film. You know, yeah. a terror, terror in a high rise, and this movie I feel like is this is this bridge. It's like this walking bridge between the two, where it starts as a mm-hmm. poltergeist movie, but then like you can tell, like at a certain point, the director it just becomes over reliant on jump scares, like Joe Bethany yeah, getting right. sucked into the ground, where it's like, oh, it was a hallucination. And it's like hallucinations and waking up from dreams where you're murdered are it's what horror movies do to tread water before the, the killer shows up. Right. Um, but
0: a good, you know, there's great value in a good jump scare, but this, I mean, no, but it never, it never even amounts to a jump scare.
2: Right. That's what I mean. Like, like it just, it, it becomes over reliant on these things because it knows like, Oh, we well, and the difference
1: is that when I, when I think of the first movie and you think of the guy peeling off his face, you remember that forever. I didn't remember that's this. That's not a about... jump scare, though. It's not, no. But but everything that happens in this movie, I didn't remember, including Joe Beth Williams falling into the ground. Right. Did
0: you remember the self-operating vacuum cleaner?
1: No, mm. I just I just assumed or, they were trading on Mr. Mom comedy at that point. Or
0: that, or that all the toys in her bedroom come to life. I mean, talk about old, old school horror. Yeah. And you get a couple of mid-80s robots as well. You know, we've done Rocky Four. We know, <laughs> right? Mid eighties movies love their domestic gadgetry. Yeah, they do. And here we get we get two, two rope two uh, home base robots. Yeah.
1: Pointing at uh, Carol Ann under the
2: blanket. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think the one the, the scariest thing in this movie is Julian Beck as Kane.
0: Yeah, so we I I, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's. And that carries me, too. I mean, that, that sort of carries me along. That carries probably, me through
1: the second act, actually. Probably, yeah. yeah,
0: probably later than I should be invested in this movie. I yeah. mean, he's only the second new character that we've seen in the entire movie. Yes. But, like, after, take a, take
2: a minute. Taylor. Take a minute and imagine this movie without him and his performance. <laughs> right? Right. What do you have if you don't have this Jack charismatic... shit. Yeah, you have this charismatic villain... And again, I, I don't think that it was the right move to create, to, to like nucleate um, the haunting of this one man. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I don't think that was the right thing. I agree with you, Tom. I think Polter, Poltergeist from the jump should have been an anthology. It, it, it mm-hmm. Like the Poltergeist 1, Poltergeist 2 is different family, different house, different yeah. era and it's just another haunting and we just we just tell haunting stories I think that would have been where this franchise might have been able to go but I bet Um, Tom's
1: right that after Halloween 3 they were never going to do that
2: but I mean look we talked about this with Halloween 3 you can't change the format after the second movie in between the second and third movie right you have to do it in between the first and second movies so if Halloween had become an anthology with Halloween two. It would have it would have set it would have set the parameters and set the rules for the franchise. Whereas by the time Halloween three rolled around, they were breaking their own rules. That's a fair point. And so, so the and I wonder, like you would talk about the influence of Halloween or the influence of Friday the Thirteenth, um, you have in these horror movies, or, or or and and also Nightmare on Elm Street, um, all the horror is sort of clustered around one man it becomes mm-hmm. clustered and there is less of a of a of an appeal for these amorphous horrors of of maybe the 70s and now like the horrors in the 80s are all about one guy terrorizing a camp a family uh teenagers you know uh, it's the it's the sort of the rise of the of the serial killer essentially yeah yeah right, right? And, and so, you know, like, and we see this again in the 1982 of it all, um, uh, it's the third Friday, the 13th movie, uh, but it's the first one where Jason wears the hockey mask and sort of the minting of that, uh, image of, of the, of the, of the, uh, slasher with the hockey mask and that, that really potent image again mm-hmm. to Mike Myers, uh, Freddy Krueger. Um, and now I think that what they might be trying to do with Kane is to make, another one one of, of those things, yeah uh, one of these guys and 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 in so many ways I think like the first poltergeist felt like it was from another era of filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, and certainly horror filmmaking or suspense f- filmmaking interesting
0: I I, I mean I, I just want to talk a little bit about Julian Julian Beck for a moment please because this guy I mean this guy's this guy's fascinating yeah he, he's a he's a theater artist mm-hmm who work with a company called The Living Theatre, who are best known for bringing Bertolt Brecht plays to the American stage. And when you read his performance through that um, prism, it really adds up, because, like the movie, there's nothing necessarily viscerally scary about this character, but he he's doing what Bertolt Brecht did with, you know, anti-realist... You know, act just the vessel of an being the vessel of an idea, and the performance itself is very camp. It's very kitsch. It's extremely theatrical, mm-hmm. and yet it's truly haunting. I mean, I can't stop thinking about this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's it's sort of fascinating that he brings that dimension, uh, to it, and and the movie kind of ter- terraforms into a camper and kitschier movie around him. Whenever he's on screen, like when he arrives, it starts raining a dog. The dogs run away. Yeah, he's singing. uh, He's singing the song
1: from uh, Night of the Hunter.
0: Yes. Yeah. He's smiling his way through his performance. It becomes a much kitschier sequel when he's on screen. Uh, And yet, you know, it's a it's a it's a lingering terror, which is exactly what you want from a. I mean, the performance, but, but he's not he's not doing it and he's not doing it in a in a traditional filmic way. Right. He is bringing this kind of experimental theater idea to bear on this character. And I just think that's especially in the frame of what is in many ways quite a conventional studio movie, although it does take make a lot of batshit choices. Um, this is one of the batshit choices that is very, very successful. Is mm. the casting of this guy absolutely, and even the execution around him in his scenes is working?
2: Yes, um, yeah. If you were to just watch a, a like a, a mashup of just his scenes, I think you would be like, right. "I want to watch the rest of that movie."
0: Right? Yeah, exactly. And I <laughs> and think one of do. the problems with with Guys <laughs> Three is that all that they, they've kind of they've latched onto the idea that that Kane. Is the scary part of this paradigm? It's yes. not. It's Julian Beck. Right. It's all Julian it's Beck. It's the actor. <laughs> well, you yeah. don't it, it, have Julian Beck, you don't have Kane. Basically, but even
2: even even within this movie, th- this movie proves that because um, in a later Act Two sequence, Craig T. Nelson becomes possessed by this spirit spirit, and yeah. and acts right. He acts like Julian Beck. He right, right when he's trying to like rape Diane, which is this. This so is, again, deeply with, unsettling, that oh, scene. And it's the war sequence when he drinks the tequila worm. I mean, the, like, this is, for me, this goes to, like, it's like anything, it, to me, anything sort of vaguely about um, alcoholic dad who's going to go murder everybody is just evergreen horror. Like, I, I think there's, there's all, and this is where the movie, for me, tips into full horror and never comes back because mm-hmm. it, it becomes, a, it becomes, a, it finally becomes about a family turning on itself. And it stops being a poltergeist movie, which is about a family sticking together, right? Right. So so they they take Craig T. Nelson, he drinks the tequila worm, and then he channels Julian Beck. And it's it's terrifying because it's it's just a terrifying scene and gross yeah. and really off putting. But he's so not good at doing Julian Beck. Right. Like they should have known that there was gonna be no reason. Recid- there is only one. there was going to be no reproducing this performance and so by the third movie when they're casting another actor uncredited and putting him in a julian beck mask and hoping for the
0: best shades of crispin glover yeah Yeah,
2: right it's it's we should yeah i I
0: mean yeah it's a year before they do it in back to the future too as well interesting
2: it's Yeah, uh, it's, right. It's, so it's not that a, is
0: the precedent for Julian Glover's uh, right, uh, Julian Glover, Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover.
2: I, I, I uh, really wish I wish this movie knew. I wish this. I, I wish this casting uh, choice wasn't so inspired, um, because it, it yes. does. Yeah, right. Because, like, like I said, like imagine this movie without Julian Beck and without, not even just without Kane, but without Julian Beck doing that performance. Right. And you really have a different movie on your hands.
1: Earlier in the movie, that scene of him on the front porch talking to Craig T. Nelson, yeah, and you as Great. the audience know the second you invite him in, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah, and you're on the edge of your seat because of the work that he's doing.
0: It it also it makes me that you mentioned you know you mentioned that he's singing the song from Night of the Hunter. Yeah. Also this that scene makes me think of Bride of Frankenstein at the same time. It makes me wonder like if they'd have leaned in a little more to the to the James Whale idea of doing a sequel that it's pure camp, pure kitsch. Mm. Whether that would have benefited a movie especially when your director doesn't understand horror. <laughs> right? It, it might, be a, it might be a it might be a it might be a good alternative route to go down. Uh, but it's only really applies to those scenes that Kane, that the Julian Beck's Kane is in, and I, I got it looking at his background. That seems to be more about him as as a performer and yeah. what he's bringing to the movie than the movie itself. Right. It's the movie's kind of accommodating him in those scenes, but I would look. I mean, I don't know if it gets kitschier than than the the other side sequence. Maybe mm. that you could also argue that's a di- that's a kind of religious kitsch. Uh but. Uh. In those moments, worst. I sort of, I, I sort of see like the roots of a different movie that, that that could have, that could have been, stylistically at least, more interesting than it is. Because they should have just accepted. Can't do horror. When I'm not a horror filmmaker, this is not really a horror movie.
1: Yeah, but do you think? I mean, do you think the director is conscious enough of that to?
0: clearly not because he's try he's yeah. still trying to put as you said as Matt said put in those jump scares and and you know fall back on these these old school horror tropes the you know uh, but but just ineptly i mean i've never seen a worse haunted house scene in any movie than the one in this movie right. whoever thought you should do it in one take with no with no music or, you know, and let the camera move freely around the house, <laughs> like pan from side. I mean, it's just it's inept. I, I don't yeah. know the way of, of, of talking about it, you know. Uh,
2: and not only the filmmaking, but like. When Robbie gets attacked by his own braces, I I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to be funny or scary. Yeah, I because it's it's. Um, or, or I don't know, like it was, is, is it, was that the, um, was that sort of them trying to sequel the bit in the first movie where the man peels off his own face in the bathroom? Cause it was, it's another bathroom scene. Yeah. It's another alone in a bathroom scene. Yeah. So I don't know if they were trying to one up that if they were fail, fail. but then, the, but then the second thing is like, he's it's he's like a, a 13-year-old kid like brushing his teeth and trying to like deal with his new braces and then suddenly he's also
1: shaving though
2: yeah again it's like they're they're toying <laughs> with the idea of having of doing like razor horror you know but airplane it's... 2 style <laughs> god <laughs> we're back
0: well i was going to say on on a not unrelated note that the first thing that came to my mind when i saw that scene was superman 3 right when vera is absorbed by the computer and tonally we're not that far off yeah they they, they <laughs> well, feel very same
2: but this is what i'm saying about and you're saying he doesn't very much do the, the same horror. like i i honestly don't know if this is supposed to be scary or not even in the the i don't even care about how it was directed but like just look at the concept just look yeah. at think of it on paper robbie brushes his teeth dealing with his braces and then something starts going wrong and suddenly the wires of his braces start uh, uh, extending like tendrils of, of ivy and crawling and, and trapping his hands. And, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, like I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? <laughs> we cut away to uh, uh, Steven and Diane and they're doing something. And then they start to hear uh, Robbie yelling and they race upstairs and they throw open the door To see Robbie, essentially encased in aluminum foil on the ceiling, on the ceiling, like Spider-Man, like like he like he's been put there by Spider-Man, and only his eye is showing from the braces, and that's funny. (laughs) Like that is straight (laughs) up, like on the page, funny. Like I I look at that and I go, oh, (laughs) that's funny. That's that'll be good for the poltergeist parody that we're doing, you know
1: right i think that i just realized too because robbie is in airplane two so you have <laughs> that <laughs> amazing connection oh
0: it's not the only airplane two airplane two connection this is now the second movie we've done with with matt on the show where a sentient vacuum cleaner attacks someone out of a closet
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> And and that's... it's a, a presage of maximum overdrive, again, going back to the Stephen King. Right.
0: Yeah. I but I mean, yeah, the, to... the Stephen King references are on, on the nose. I mean, ev- everything about uh, Craig T. Nelson's possession is just, just oh, sort yeah. of a Jack Torrance in The Shining. But to me, I. I the, the, the bad, bad, bad ghost ad. Speaking. That, s- that's not Bill Cosby. Be, yeah. Speaking specifically about
1: the braces scene, I really think because mid-80s, we're, we're talking about a time in which braces become very popular for kids. I think it was just somebody's idea of wouldn't every child be scared of this? But mm. it comes across as looking oh, the comical. Idea,
0: the, the ideas are potentially very scary and obviously, the you know, what they're doing practically with animatronics and puppetry and creature design as is, is very successful, but it I mean it's it's mishandled and so, it all falls flat.
2: Right. Well, and there's also sort of a lack of 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 continuity or, or there's there's no one overall idea or metaphor that that, um, that right you're operating under. Like so, like when we when we talked about the poltergeist movie, the first one, you know, if you see it through the the lens of motherhood, like the production design becomes very um, telling. Apparent, Everything yeah. Is, Everything is sort of um, the house becomes kind of a womb, and everything is is uh, mm. uh, it, 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 there. There are so many um, allusions to birth and afterbirth, and and right. uh, uh, sort of mother's milk, and all of these things that are that are suffused in the actual production design, and give a, uh, a sort of a thematic runner through all of the ways in which they're haunted, and and how the haunting appears to the to the to the people, and how it sort of. Um, uh, uh, is, is shown and there's no such controlling metaphor in this. I don't no, know no. what the braces have to do with the vacuum cleaner has to do with the toy phone has to do with um, uh, uh, the chainsaw. Like, I, I don't know what they all have to do with each other. Um, I don't know what the movie's trying to say or celebrate or, or, or uh, yeah, it's like, it's, it's meditate it's, on it's, meditate on or, or just, or, or yeah, like who wins, who wins in this movie? who wins? <laughs> right. I I ask you like in, in, in the, in the first movie, like it really is. We talk about sort of the Reagan versus hippie. Yeah. That's really what the movie is. And in the end, hippie wins, hippie mm-hmm. wins over Reagan. I don't know who wins. Maybe it is this libertarian. Maybe it's this new, well, this the, new you know, uh, the, the... way. Of Didn't accounting. you get the it. sense
1: though, that there was in the last line in which his, you know, Robbie asks dad, do you believe Taylor? And he says, yes, I do son. It was like, Oh, I just had to overcome my
0: racism and my bigotry.
2: I don't know what but he had to
0: do. But then he steals his car from him. Who t- it was? It's are we, are we are we talking about this this movie or the last one?
1: No, this movie. Or
0: this one. Yeah. So like, it, he overcomes his racism, but then the movie's racism tells us that this has all been a long con for Taylor to get to get the world's his car <laughs> because he's a he's a. <laughs> low-down car thief because he's a <laughs> he's, he's a person of color and so, so, it's, so you're it's, saying
2: that he's the one responsible for the haunting like he goes around this oh yes, i think that's haunting, yeah.
0: very clear
2: he goes around haunting <laughs> families and then he pedals yeah. like i'll get rid of your yeah. i'll get rid of your rat problem i'll get rid
0: of your <laughs> I'll get rid of your christine car don't worry about it um oh yeah it's, it's oh my it's, god it's, that's a, right
2: christine is another is another it's CBK. a lot it's a
0: it's it's a long con, absolutely. Um, but that like it, it's really interesting. Like you you both came you know you both came in heavy with how racist this movie is, and you know I forget who I'm talking to. You know it's the good old 1982 boys, <laughs> you know, steeped in screen racism. Um, but you know I, I I was like I was like thinking when when those sort of things happen in the movie where you know uh, Taylor is. Just wants Steve's car, just wants to find a way to get Steve's car away from him. I'm thinking, am I reading too much into this? Is this racist? But <laughs> right. clearly I'm not. <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's like the, th- it is, it is looking at it from that lens. It is sort of the through line of the movie. It begins with this, this kind of offensive representation or misrepresentation of, of Native American uh, culture, mm-hmm. kind of like trying to, you know, trying to create a Spielbergian moment out of, uh, you know, racist tropes, basically. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, and then the end of the movie is is a joke about how, you know, the hero of the movie is, is the low-down car thief. And it, it, it's just sort of... And everything in between is is equally as pro- equally as problematic i had the drinking the, when drinking the tequila worm as the ultimate white person problem turned into a moment of horror yeah, yeah. <laughs> right
2: <laughs> i i i honestly i i was like i had forgotten about the tequila worm in general like i was like yeah. that was such a throwback like that that dates this movie <laughs> i think more than anything
0: yeah
1: all right, well let's take another break and then we'll come back and we'll finish up. How about that? Please That's good. All right. We'll be right back. Go ahead and check out 2 T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Matt and Tom and I are here finishing up with Poltergeist 2, The Other Side. Uh, I Do either of you have any notes before maybe we get to
0: the other side
1: the other side yeah
0: (laughs) i I just briefly want because you know this is a sequel podcast it's probably worth mentioning uh tangina Mm
2: -hmm. yeah who
0: also returns to the movie in a but she's in a
1: scatman crothers kind of way
0: in a scatman crothers kind of way but she's she's in a tag team oh no wait that's a
1: third movie sorry (laughs) she's on an airplane in the third movie my bad
0: um in kind of like a tag team arrangement with her surrogate, Taylor, yeah, Taylor, yeah, and they they make specific reference to this in the movie when he turns up. They basically say, "Why isn't Tangina here?" <laughs> and he says, "This is this is more my kind of job." So they actually make that part of the that his spe- <laughs> they actually make that part of the story that that he's taking over from Tangina they, they say- because this is his special specialized area. Which um, what we does also that mean? Get,
2: yeah, exactly. It's the same. It's the same that's, thing that she. Right. It's the same house with the same more, corpses. This is a
0: more racist job than the last, so <laughs> that's why you have a terrible misrepresentation of a of a Native American. It's one of those moments, and um, it's
2: one of those moments in a script where a character asks what the audience is wondering, which is like, why are oh, Why are you here? Why are you here and not Tangina? And it's like, um, there's a
0: ton of those. I've got one like a, one really early on. Where is the family now? taylor asked that yeah (laughs) like i'm like whoa wow that's what i was thinking (laughs) um but also you know to add to our list of sequel ten commandments uh (laughs) with tangina if you can't get him in the film get him on the phone (laughs) it's al in die hard 2 all over again yep daniel's mother and karate kid three or two possibly both possibly yeah
2: here's here's the Um, here's the thing about tangina that that um strikes me is and 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 makes this makes this movie a sequel in maybe a meta way was that the first movie one of the things that was so captivating about the first movie is that it featured this performance from an actor who mm -hmm. was had a curious voice and um uh, we had never seen her before and she was right. just as spooky as the ghosts and, and seemed to um, spring from the same well as the, as the haunting itself, you know. Um, Tangina's entrance and her way of being and moving through that first house was so captivating. And in this movie, right. you have the same kind of arresting performance from Julian Beck. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sort of... And so in some ways, like, Julian Beck is Zelda Rubenstein's surrogate even though yeah even mm. though he, he he has a different function in the story <gasps> casting wise right. he has the same function and if, unfortunately in the third movie that job falls to Tom Skerritt <laughs> 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 is not a good that's that's a that's a lateral move at best
1: <laughs> don't forget he's involved somehow
2: tom...
0: <laughs>
2: poltergeist 3 tom skerritt gets involved <laughs> So it's, so yeah, yeah I mean I think I think Zelda Rubinstein is I think she's fighting for screen time in this film and she shouldn't have to be That's the thing is you well, get, rid Taylor, this... get rid of Taylor just get rid of Taylor Why is Taylor in this movie Yeah
0: We've we've found this again and again haven't we Mike that you know you have you have um what we call so you know surrogates replacing mm-hmm. legacy characters often replacing the actors as well yeah um, although sometimes not always <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yet they coex they can coexist in the same movie we've seen this again and again beneath the planet, beneath the of, planet, the planet the apes, of the apes is Weekend our, our best at example right? i mean it's 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 sort of like either replace them <laughs> or don't. Or let them do the role they're supposed to do in the movie. Let, let them let them perform their function in the movie, but this tag team arrangement is is bizarre, but like more it, it, co- commonplace than you might think because it seems very unwieldy. This is, and in the end it must just come down to I'm not available those weeks.
2: Or yeah, <laughs> I mean really is is she she was busy doing Teen Witch is what she was doing. So <laughs> Let's not let's not say that like she was like suddenly like uh, uh, booked solid. Um, <laughs> but there's no other reason why you would why yeah. But think uh, of it. Think this is not a this is not a hard fix. Like like this family no. suddenly finds itself being haunted again, and they have to track Tangina down to be like, look, you said this house was clean. It is not. Something like and Tangina could be like, look, I don't want to be in the sequel. And they go, no, you have to be. And they pull her in. And they can mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, make her finish what she started, you know, like she could have an integral part in this to play in this um, in this story. But she, instead, she just sort of exists on the periphery of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Where it's she's, like, she becomes ha- yeah, like this, you said, like, yeah. keeper or cutter. like you don't. This isn't working.
0: Right. And then in the next movie, she's pure plot function. She's just a way to get from A to B. Mm
2: hmm. She's, an, she's the info um, dump in the third movie, yeah.
0: Right. Uh, and she's sort of turning into that in this, this movie as well.
2: Why they hand it off it's to like, Taylor, I don't, I don't know. I really don't think Taylor needs to be in this movie <laughs> at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And nothing against Will Sampson.
2: No, not at all. No, but
0: he's a, he's a, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of presence. Uh, I'm always happy to see him in a movie.
2: No, I just I'm just talking about the character. Um yeah. yeah of course. All of, all course, of these right. actors, all of these actors I think are doing the best with what they have and and uh, I, I think they're being asked to do things that are maybe a bit ridiculous at times. Um but they try to sell it. They really do try to sell it. And they, nowhere yeah. do they try harder than when they get to the other side.
0: T- well, wow. before that, I just want to I my my favorite characters in this movie are the two ladies at the lunch, lunch counter. <laughs> oh yeah the diner. <laughs> and and part of me wishes I understand from like a screenwriting point of view why like having established that that you know they're here for some horrible kind of domestic situation <laughs> means that they've ended up there at whatever it is four in the morning. I hated. I, I sort of resented the fact that they, you know, they became the conduit for the poltergeist to speak through. I'm like, well, that's why they obviously why they established them at the beginning of the scene. But I would rather they just be left there as kind of like, as a kind of time specific. These are the kind of people you're going to encounter at four in the morning in a diner because their <laughs> their lines in that uh, when you when you're panning across the lunch counter and you're hearing the snippets of their conversation it's just perfect. Yeah, like one of so them. It's a like shame they the had run. to use them uh like it's it's like you know they there's some kind of like middle of the night walkout breakup situation yeah. yeah and i just thought oh that's so authentic that that really lends character and color to the scene but and it's i i should have known that they're just they were just building to them being a you know poltergeist voiceover uh, yeah a
1: surrogate conduit. for for uh, yeah. julian beck voice
2: yeah mm-hmm. so the other side Let's go to the other side,
1: guys. Can we talk, first of all, because, I mean, you know, we're going to have to talk about both movies, obviously. What are the rules? I don't (laughs) understand the rules. This movie seems to tell me that all of you have to go to the other side together. The next movie, at one point, I thought I heard... You have to be on on our side
0: again. Again, like to Matt's point, it's like a police report. <laughs> I thought like... I heard someone say, "Burn the house down," <laughs> but I can't be sure.
1: Somebody, just tell me the rules.
2: Not only not only the rules for this movie, but then like you're dealing with a set of rules established in the first movie because you you've called your movie Poltergeist and you've brought back the same cast. You're forgetting. The key fact that Jo Beth Williams has been to the other side. She has been there. She has seen the light. She has rescued her daughter. She has glimpsed the infinite beyond life. Which is, again, why she should be the biggest badass in this film, but is not. She's just back to Jo Beth Williams pre-Poltergeist, pre the events of Poltergeist 1. So, yeah right and so she's it's
0: the indiana jones reset it's isn't complete it, reset for her every,
2: character and so yeah.
0: indiana jones movie he doesn't believe in in the thing he just saw at the end of the last movie
2: exactly and 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 he's <laughs> or, and so when 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 the when act three rolls around and they realize they're going to have to go back to the scene of the crime and go into the whatever they're going to have to go and and fight julian beck on his own grant on his own territory i don't even know what they're trying to do at that point right um well
0: it's i mean the rules to me are clear it, it, it's it's a book called the bible because this is catholic <laughs> heaven is it not right. yeah they're gonna it's ha- like an anim- everything on the other side is like an animated prayer card yes absolutely I mean, it's just it's it's completely ethereal you know every the clouds the light the sistine chapel touch core of music demons and angels mm-hmm. i mean it's pure religious fantasy
2: but aside uh, the other side of how they visualize it like i'm saying like when the family d- realizes that they have to go and do this where is joe beth williams saying hey relax guys i've been there you just tie a rope around yeah. your waist we'll just go in we'll do the thing somebody will pull us out like we, we we've done this before they're they're all sort of acting like this is this is not something they've been through before when in fact, right. two members of that family, two me- half of that family, has already been to the other side.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Yes, but but
2: to your uh, point, and you-
1: I don't think that this representation of the other side matches. I granted no. the the pr- previous movie uh, is smart enough to not show us. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> but uh, definitely not the next movie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But, but the mirror, the mirror universe oh my right God.
2: look I, I worked on a movie where we had to show what happened after you died <laughs> mm-hmm. and <laughs> w- there was a lot of hand wringing you know there was a lot of there, hours and hours and weeks and weeks of discussion about what do we show and what do we not show and ultimately yeah ultimately we what we came down on was a version of the afterlife where there is still a, an afterlife beyond that which which is not shown or known, and so because you know a way it, station it was yeah it was a purgatory essentially or it, it was it was a yeah it was a, it was a a holding pen in in a, in a way yeah um not a holding pen that that connotes you know um, um people waiting around for something but it was it was a it was a, a, a medium a uh, region between here and whatever lies beyond here. and and you know it was it was the director's point and it was a good point, which is say like he, he was adamant about like anytime anybody's ever tried to show the afterlife, it just looks goofy. you know And <laughs> you know we, we, but you, you, but talk you don't about, need like, to
0: go full Catholic. You don't, but even when you
2: even but it's always like it's always like super gauzy and flowy like like you're caught like you're caught in a beautiful clothesline on a breezy day. And you're in just uh, all these sheets are just kind of a billowing around you and everything. Again, Tom, it's to your underwater things. Basically, it's underwater. The afterlife is underwater. Uh, uh, Right. Except in defending your life. Well, again, that's that's a way station. That's a waste. That's yeah. true. You're right. So that's a successful one. And it's and it's also very like brick and mortar. And it, yeah, that's what makes it funny. It, it feels very real and very funny. And it's and it's an allegory to a certain time in life or a certain place in your life. And but when you look at like uh, uh, what was that Peter Jackson one, the lo- lovely bones, you know, mm-hmm. or what yeah. dream, yes. or what dreams may come. It, it. Yeah. It, it, these visions of the afterlife. That's the one that sticks with me. Yeah. These visions of the afterlife are always come off as super cheesy. Um. And this one is just like they were like, we know it's cheesy. What if we triple down on that, and made it so <laughs> cheesy that we enveloped this family in a, um, in a in a orange halo, of loving glowing light, and then we have the grandmother come back as the archangel Gabriel. Um. Yeah. To, yeah. to save the save Carolan and and they fight. You know, an apparently Jesus even demon, demon beast. Uh. It. it a, whoa. It was a lot. There was a lot coming at me fast, and it wasn't. Was it? Was it? was, it was, was coming fast the, the, and furious. The
0: movie. I mean, it, it reflects how out of control the movie is by this point, <laughs> because after they. <laughs> I mean, you know, the 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 portent of this is a you know a Labrador fighting some ghost cables. Right. Um, then they escape the house and already you're like, well we already know this isn't a deterrent because it's following Car- Car- Carol Ann so the house it's meaningless. Escaping the house is meaningless.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You're going back to the old house which seems like a bad idea. Like I get why it's necessary for the closure <laughs> of the story but I don't <laughs> understand why they're going there uh, in the context of the... Well, that's
1: part play. of the problem within the second act, Tom, because this movie, yeah. you know, there are characters. Taylor is saying, you have to go back to the house. And he says that fairly early on. And Craig T. Nelson just pooh-poohs it right away.
0: And he's right. Exactly.
1: Why, yeah. why? Everything,
0: everything, every time anyone questions Taylor, they are right to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: so basically it just has to get bad enough car thief to you isn't he (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah yeah. i mean he's you know it's like jesse ventura is your talisman for (laughs) for the movie isn't it kind of really um
1: so the movie feels uh, like it just has to get bad enough for them to say fuck it let's just go back to the house hopefully we can fix this there
2: it's but really, it's, it's like,
1: it, a, like, there's nothing in it that feels earned.
2: Well, yeah, but well, to your point, logic... Mike, like what, what are the rules of that? Like, cause the movie has, spent, yeah, exactly, the, entire right. movie, the, the entire movie has told us, look, it wasn't the house. It's Carol Ann. She's the antenna. She's the lightning rod for the spiritual yeah. activity. And now they're like, you have to go back to the house. And it's like, I thought we didn't need the house. <laughs> the, the fucking guy you know... is walking up to my porch here. Why do we need to go back to the house? Can't I stab him on the porch? Can't I stab? (laughs) Can't I just stab him on the porch? (laughs) I would love if that were the answer to the whole movie. (laughs) Just Craig T. Nelson just stabs him on the porch. (laughs) Give
0: the just give the moments like a cup of coffee. That'll finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Well, the, the, so uh, the logic that I started to apply to the, the movie at a certain point when it, when it starts to unravel uh, is, I mean, it's too, kind of too early for video game logic, but I, I, it's like fantasy roleplay logic.
2: Mm.
0: Like the second half of the movie is like a Dungeons and Dragons quest. Yeah. At one point, right. Taylor even says, you know, that's a drain on your power. Mm-hmm. Like he's a fucking <laughs> video game character. <laughs> Or something, and I just you know it's was like that's the only like that uh, doesn't help with the rules. I still don't know what the rules are, but the rules are whatever the role play says the rules are.
1: It's kind of like that backpack in uh,
0: Trolls too. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm gonna bring the magical the magical backpack that solves all narrative problems. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna... that's what Taylor is. He's a magical backpack. Yeah, I'm gonna breathe <laughs> some Manifested smoke. Manifested in... as
1: a human being. I'm gonna breathe some smoke into your nostrils. You'll know when to use it. <laughs> is there is there is is take, there yeah, anything take, take more the magic, offensive take the to Native spirit. American culture yeah.
0: than blowing ghosts into Craig T. Nelson's nose, and claiming it has something to do with with their traditions? <laughs> <And it's laughs> and a really he's pipe just as well. trying
2: to get his car. I know, and it's a. <laughs> In the the same worst part way. of that
0: is I really like that. Ju- I like I, like. I like the fact that after we've gone, you know, full uh, highway to heaven, let's say, right, um, that there is like there's a there's a gap, like as in the first movie, because this is the same ending as the first movie in in every sense. We have a we have a joke to sort of bring us back down to earth, Mm -hmm. and the same thing happens when they throw the TV out of the window in the first movie. Um, it's just, like, unfortunately, that joke is built on a racist premise. <laughs> uh, but I appreciated that we had something to sort of bring us back to the to the world. We did need that. We just didn't need it to be specifically that offensive.
1: Agreed. <laughs> oh man. What uh? What else? Anything left? Any notes
0: for either of you? I've got that you can only be scared by something that you can only. There's only so much you can be scared by something that turns out to be a mop when it always looked like a mop. <laughs> 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 and I'm not saying that's a hard and fast rule of horror, but. Because it'll never come up again, right? But uh, just what I wanted to say—if it—if it looks like a—if it walks like a mop and it talks like a mop, it's probably it's a, mop. a mop. Uh, yeah. I would. I, the, That's all I have.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I kind of—I'm—I'm I'm still stuck in the afterlife here. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why you. I don't know why they made the decision to show the afterlife. And not only show it, but, like, name the movie after it, after what is, like, not, yeah, even, right. not even a five-minute sequence. Um, you know, and the idea that the grandmother kind of comes out of the light to rescue uh, Carol Ann and, and deliver And bring her, her back.
1: back to an entire family that seemed like they were resigned to the fact that, ah, she's gone. Yeah, like,
2: <laughs> oh, well, I guess it cost <laughs> us Carol Ann. And then they're like, No, here I, I, I was in the water and I and I saved her from you she she fell overboard and I saved her. Here you can have her back. When they were just ready to sail away. And, yeah, exactly. And it, it's it, it when I saw it, it struck me as one of those ideas that you have, whether it's in a writer's room or, or in your own head, where you go like, Okay, what needs to happen is like the grandmother needs to come back and like swoop in like Han Solo and kind of save the day. That's kind of what needs to happen. We need mm-hmm. to feel that kind of like coming together. Um, so in a, in a, in a really outliny, sketchy way, you say, and somehow the grandmother comes and saves Carol Ann. And you're all somehow clear, kid. Returned. Now throw and, that spear and let's yeah. go home.
0: Speaking of Star Wars, somehow she returned. Yeah, and and, <laughs>
2: and the fact that they actually showed it—that's the thing. It's like it was like it was like it was the idea that you have. You're like you need to have something like that, but not that because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> but something like that, and they ended up doing that, and yeah. and not only that, but then they did it again in the set in the third film. Uh, mm-hmm. they have right. the exact same convention in the third film as if it was like, again, it's now like, that's, well, that's how these movies end. Like the, 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 the grandmother, whoever the grandmother is in that particular world comes back and saves, uh, Carol Ann, you know, they're like, that's just how we end poltergeist movies now. And it's like, no, look at the first one. That's not how the, that's not how that movie ended at all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so this is just another one of these things where I'm like where did this come from? This had no grounding in the original. It's a silly thing to try to show. Like it takes it takes a lot of yeah. it takes a lot of guts <laughs> but to like actually film the afterlife but then on top of it to go like full angel, full archangel. Right. Yeah. Um like I just I felt bad for the actor in that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I all kind of, of them. I well, I felt bad. For, I, I, think, I felt bad for her because it, it felt like she was the one. Like if you were watching a really bad stage play, she'd be the one like lowered in on a wire, you know. And you're like, oh, yeah. like the others can just run off stage if it gets to be too much. She's just kind of stuck there. <laughs> They're just letting her float in the light <laughs> and smile. Oh God, it's the it was the. Yeah, worst. you have
0: you have to be like a a nineteen forties Hollywood director or david lynch to make this stuff
2: work yeah david lynch doing this you know what's funny julian beck kind of feels like he's out of a david lynch movie yeah right and that
0: performance would be right at home right at
2: home right at home and and so with that ending and frankly so would the geiger art direction uh sure the creature design anyway I yeah, now I, I, want, mean, to worm, see, now I want, want to see now I want to see this exact yeah. movie filmed by uh, David Lynch. Now I
0: we said the same about Halloween too. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I'm sure we'll say the same about
0: Return of the Jedi to some extent. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Tom, do you have a credit check? Of course I do. Excellent. Um, Deep Roy is one of the stunt players in this movie. I couldn't find out who he. I mean, you know, uh, one of the most prolific creature actors. Can we say of fantasy cinema? Uh, also, my my Facebook friend. I did reach out to him. He has yet to respond <laughs> as to what he what he did in this movie. But I mean, he. I mean, without stereotyping too much, I think he's in one of the monsters. <laughs> uh, but there you go. This movie apparently had paranormal and psychic advisors. Yeah.
2: What does that mean? Uh, One guy
0: came in at four a.m. to do an exorcism.
2: <laughs> Wait, so stop. What does that mean? I, I'm going to apply. I,
0: well, I'm going to apply the the uh, what Jerry Seinfeld said to Elaine Bennis after a trip to Mexico. Is did you learn anything that you couldn't learn by opening a bag of Doritos and watching Viva Zapata? Because. We don't we don't get beyond what we you could find you could read in a Stephen King book when it comes to paranormal and the psychic.
2: Wait, so they I
0: guarantee you is not what they were like. The they were world like, of the paranormal and psychic really is. They were like
2: technical advisors saying like like the way you would have a cop on set for a Law and Order episode would be like no 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 we do it this way. That <laughs> that's that's who they were like technical advisors or. Were they just providing psychic services to the production? Does that make sense? Potentially it's, both. It seems like both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
0: So uh, like it's it's full service. You know, we'll we'll t- we'll tell you what you need to do to invoke the wrath of the dead, and then we'll we'll throw in an exorcism. No, you when the shooting's over, when you in blow it,
2: when you blow a ghost into somebody's nostril, you have to hold them their face with both hands, both hands. <laughs> that was what they were saying. I You're can't like, repeat this. I wrong.
1: can't state this more emphatically. Both hands. You have to be safe.
0: It's the le- Always the left nostril. Oh, you put it in the right. You don't want a ghost in the right on the right side yeah. of your brain. You'll get a, you'll get a sure. sinus infection.
2: Wow. Well, they they had a commitment to getting this right.
0: <laughs> uh, wow. I've obviously, you know, H.R. um, conceptual artist. I guess the only thing I can link it to is the Worm Fetus Monster. That's the only trace of his work, right? Yeah. And the Beast at the end. Maybe the Beast and the Beast at yeah. the end.
2: Okay. Th- those were the two things. This seems a really...
0: low rent gig for Geiger. He... Am I wrong? Well, well he understanding...
2: did yeah, a bunch ahead, of.
1: He did a bunch of extra stuff that they just didn't use, which really pissed him off. Right.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. He was he he um, kind of he kind of designed a bunch of stuff and then pieced out and then came back and saw the finished film and went, uh oh. Like that, he it okay. was not. It was not. Uh, it, 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 like I said, it, there was no cohesive art design to this movie. So yeah, no, not at so all. his. So his not at all. his contributions felt freakish and and out of place.
0: Yeah. Uh, among the creature crew, there is a mem- crew member called Screaming Mad George. Uh, I guess, I guess I don't need to ask who the joker on this team was. <laughs> and I'm done.
1: <laughs> Nothing on the vomit creature?
0: The vomit creature? What's Who's the vomit creature?
1: I know the actor's name is Noble Craig. I don't know anything other than that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good addition. I like I'm that sorry, name, what? though. Put that in the record. Yeah. Noble
1: Craig. What is the vomit creature? The thing that Craig T. Nelson spits out. So it's the tequila yeah, worm. Yes, it's the, it's the worm.
2: The worm As yeah. it crawls off and kind of makes a, lifts an yeah. eyebrow and makes a, a mischievous face. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And his name was Noble Craig. Yeah. <laughs> and Craig T. Nelson vomited him.
1: As it keeps going on, we're unearthing quite a bit.
2: I, mm-hmm. This is my nobility that I give to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Craig D. Nelson said on the day. Yeah.
1: Wow, that's sick. All right. Well, there you have it. That's Poltergeist 2. Coming up next, of move. course. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Coming up next. Oh it should be called back, back to the old house, or something right? Like that. Yeah.
2: All right. Yeah. For next time, we have to, we all have to come up with different titles for Poltergeist Two. Yeah.
0: For next time, Poltergeist Two. Tom Skerritt is not involved. <laughs> <laughs> no
1: electric boogaloo's.
0: <laughs> no, no, no.
1: All right. Coming up next is Poltergeist Three. Everyone, Matt will be coming back to join us. So for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions and Matthew Aldrich, thank you so much. Our special guest, Michael Shantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Say goodbye,
0: Tom. Great. I'm gonna grow up retarded.
1: <laughs>
2: Fuck. <laughs> Another terrible line. It's a nice
0: little offensive throwaway there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye, Matt. I can't top that, or bottom, <laughs> or bottom it, or I'm not even gonna try. Good night. <laughs> Good night, everybody.
1: <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll be back.